Jesus finished in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is an interesting text. There's 15 images here. And there's the eye, the lamp, the body, healthy, light, bad, darkness, serve, masters, hate, love, devoted, despise, God, and money. And when you have a, when you have a multitude of images like this, uh, it, it, it's easy to make the images say what they don't mean. And that's why I like going book by book and verse by verse and series by series. So within the context of what we just looked at, verses 19, do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. And if you let your eyes feast down on verse 24, particularly the last sentence, you cannot serve God and money. So I would propose that from verse 19 to verse 24, this is a unit with a different perspective. And that's why Jesus gives all of these images or uh, ways of looking at how we view things. Uh, and also, the last word here, and where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In scripture, the heart and the eyes are closely related. When we look at Psalm 119, 10 and 18, we read this, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then in verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of the law. So the issue here is that Jesus is not giving a separate teaching. He is giving a, another angle of the same issue about where your heart is. But he uses the eyes. This is fascinating. He uses the eyes because the eyes are, in a sense, which is the Jewish idea, the eyes are the window of the soul. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. But the fact is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, and you cannot serve God in money. So Jesus now is looking at a perspective. How are we to view the world? How are we to view the things in the world? Because how we view those things says a lot about where our heart is. So naturally, there is a connection between the heart and the eyes. Now, as I studied this week, I <laughs> went through whenever you've got 15 images and you, you have to figure out, okay, you, you can't take these images out of context. So when I sat down to do this, I said, what I'm going to do is just go by the words and then I'm going to explain what the words mean, which is what I do pretty much every Sunday. But let's look at what Jesus says. First of all, he says, get your focus right. There needs to be a right focus. The eye, Jesus says, that is the physical eye, the eye in which we see the material world, the eye in which we uh, let things into our lives. Jesus says the eye is the. That's an, that's an important word, the. That's definitive. He couldn't say, he didn't say the eye is a lamp of the body. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, of course, that's the physical eye. Lupnos is the lamp. And the lamp in Jesus' day looked very similar to this. 
You can see right here, this is where the wick would go in. You would pour the oil in here, and this, of course, it's broken off. The handles would come up like this. You could grab the lamp and you could take it wherever you go. Usually within this, <laughs> this little lamp, you could see 10, 15 feet in front of you, and it would light the room uh, quite well. And this is what it looked like at night. And obviously, this is not the same picture I just showed you. It's close to it, but you have the same idea, the wick, the oil, and the handle by which you could travel. There's something to note here. That the eye is the lamp of the body. Soma, that is, the physical body, who you are. The light is still surrounded by darkness. This is the world in which we live. We live in a dark world that does not know Jesus Christ. So the lamp who gives light to the world should only be absorbing or taking in those things which are of God. And so Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. I think uh, Robert Utley has it right. The background of this statement was the Jewish concept that the eye being the window of the soul, hence the sermon from the Jewish perspective, the eye is the window to the soul. What one allows into, this is key, what one allows into his thought life determines who or she, who or sh she is. Thought produces desire, desire produces action, and action reveals the person. So when Jesus says the eye is the lamp of the body, he is simply saying that what we allow to come in, what we view, how we view the world, is an indicator of where our treasure is. Again, this verse 22 does not live in isolation from verse uh, 23. So the issue here is, that Jesus is telling us to get our focus right. We have to be able to see the world for what it is. We are the lamp, but we also live in darkness. In fact, we're the only light in the world. And if you've been watching the news lately, you can see just how dark our world is. And that we should not reflect darkness, but we should reflect light. Verse 22b as we get into now the contrast that Jesus is mentioning. So if your eye is healthy, hoplus, hoplus is the Greek word here that Jesus, is, that Jesus used. So he's talking about the physical eye, in a sense. More importantly, I think Jesus is thinking about the spiritual eye. So if the eye, which we view our world, is healthy, something will follow. R.T. France gives an interesting uh, idea on this word, hoplus, is literally single, which he will refer to as devotion, but is used in the Septuagint to translate the root complete or perfect, which is often used for undivided loyalty. I don't particularly have a problem with his interpretation. So healthy is primarily a metaphor, again, the images, for a life totally devoted with God. I will not argue with that. I think there, isn't, there is a sense in which if we are totally devoted to God, that how we view the world 
how we view the materialism in the world and what we do with that will ultimately determine where our heart is. So Jesus is saying you must get your focus right. But I'm going to give you another interpretation here of that word. Again, it could be a life totally devoted to God. But hoplus also refers to, there are several translations, but the one that I like the best in light of verse 24, you cannot serve God in money, is the idea of generosity. So if your eye is healthy or generous, and it refers to giving material, rather than trying to hoard our possessions, or to amass wealth and all the things that go along with wealth, which would ultimately determine where our heart is and how we view the uh, external world and what we do with our money is an indicator of who we are as Christians. This church is one of the most generous churches I've ever pastored, and I've been in the ministry for 30 years. And I want to encourage you to continue that generosity. We don't need to view our world through the lens of the unsaved. But we need to really look at our lives because Jesus said if your eye is healthy, if, if it's generous, your whole body will be full of light. Photenos. Sounds like photo. Photenos. But that means well lit. Think of it this way. If you're an unbeliever and you live in darkness, the only thing that you can see is darkness. But if you're a believer and you're a Christian and we only allow those things which are of the light to enter into us, then it makes a big difference. By the way, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's been months. I know. I've been months. But I've been fascinated with the Sermon on the Mount. I started early September we are now in January, and we still have a chapter yet to go. But Jesus mentioned this concept already. We've already seen this concept. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, my light, shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The lamp and the light are important. We are about shining the light on the darkness. Because what happens when a lamp exposes the darkness? People see the reality. We cannot act like the world and expect the world to believe that we carry something different. We can't go out into the world and all of our ambition and all of our efforts and all of our time and all of our talents are spent on self-promotion. So if your eye is healthy, and I believe this goes to, to generosity. Generous people have more opportunity to share the gospel than those who are not. Would you agree with that? I mean, if, if you're a generous person, you're, you're, you're fun, you're loving, you have much greater opportunity to share the gospel 
than those who are not. And Jesus says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And then we go into verse 23. Here's the contrast. So on one end, if you're generous, if you're loyal to God, then your whole body will be lit. And I think that's the key to the Christian life is that people should see the light that is in you, that is in me. And we stay out of the darkness. We're supposed to illuminate the darkness, not participate in it. And so get your focus right. And then Jesus adds this, contrast, but almost always, I'll say 99.9% .9 of the time, it's a contrast with something that was just said. But if your eye is bad, paneros, you know, words change. You know that? Words change. Back in old English days, when you said naughty, it didn't mean what it means today. Naughty means really bad. But back in the old English day, it meant you had nothing. So etymologies of the word change. Uh, back in the day, uh, back in the 20s, if you said he's gay, that meant he was happy, he was joyful. Today, that word's changed to mean something else. And this word bad has morphed too. I went back and studied it. In the Greek world, it meant poor or poverty. So, but if your eye is bad, the Hellenistic area, uh, era, it was full of trouble. You, you, you start seeing a, a change in the word. In Judaism, right around the first century, just a little bit before the first century, uh, it meant useless. Now we're getting closer to it. If the eye is useless, that's close. But now Philo and Josephus called it sorrowful. And then when we get to our world in, in the New Testament era, it means morally corrupt. Interesting how the words change meaning. Morally corrupt can also lead us to sorrow, and it can also m be meaningless. John Stott, in his commentary, wrote this, Just as blindness leads to darkness, so Im immoral and selfish ambition plunges us into moral darkness. It makes us intolerant, inhuman, ruthless, and deprives us uh, deprives life, life of all significance. If our vision, how we view the world, if our vision becomes clouded by the false god of materialism, we lose our sense of values, then our whole life is in darkness. So Christians who, uh, all they're after is, is climbing the corporate ladder, uh, building a bigger house, having this, that, and the other, uh, by what we see and how we view the world, then there's a heart problem. Because that's not, that's not what life is about. If we turn the light just a little bit now and look at it this way, if I look out and I see needs, my eye sees, my heart says, that's my treasure. I'm going to help and I'm going to heal and I'm going to uphold and I'm going to uplift and I'm going to encourage. Those types of things, not the, not the other end of that. I am all about me. 
and that is our culture today. It is all about me and what I can do and how I can self-promote myself and how I can be the, the, the envy of everyone in my neighborhood because I have a new Rolls Royce sitting outside in my driveway. Of course, I'm not sure you'd leave a Rolls Royce outside. You'd probably pull it in the garage, which you would probably have three or four car garage. Years ago, I, I, I don't remember when, um, but I remember we were in Kentucky and we were driving through and Audrey and I were looking at all these homes. They were massive. This one house was right up on top of the hill. I, I know it was more than 15 windows. It, it was massive. And I thought to myself, do you really need that? Apparently our world does. Store not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy them, but treasures in heaven. It's perspective. The eye is the window to the soul in the sense of what we let in and what we approve. And it ultimately says something about our heart. So with our lips, we draw close to God, but our heart is far from him. Jesus goes on to say, your whole body will be full of darkness. How great the darkness. Skotos, darkness. You know what that word means very simply? Absent of light. Let me remind the church this morning that we are the light of the world. We do not live like the darkness. We do not talk like the darkness. We do not reflect the darkness. We are about reflecting the light so that people in the darkness can see the truth. They don't know the truth. They can't understand the truth. And Jesus is giving a, a, a comparison here of those who are followers of him and those who are not. Those who are followers of Christ, they light the world by their actions, their deeds, what they think, what they do. The darkness reveals itself in what it thinks and what it does and how it acts. We as believers are to shine the light for the world. And that may require us to rethink some of our priorities. What we think is important. How we view. I think, it's, I think the key. I think the key here. Is how we view the world. Do we view the world through the prism of. Selfishness and self-promotion and gain material possessions or do we view the world through the eyes of Christ and viewing it through the eyes of Christ we want the world to see Christ 
And so when we go out tomorrow, tomorrow's Monday, many of you are going to work, maybe some of you are staying home, whatever. But as you go out into the world, you've got to reflect the light. We've got to reflect the light. Not only get our focus right, but love God. Now notice the statement here. We, we already have the first statement, the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. And then Jesus gives a second statement, drilling down into the point he just made. No one, definitive, no one, can serve two masters. This word serve, dulo, means to serve normally, normally, in a humble manner, in response to the demands or commands. The word master, kudios, one who rules or exercises authority over others. I looked at some presuppositions here when I looked at this one little phrase, no one can serve two masters. There is no riding the fence. You see that? There's no riding the fence. You can't do this. You can't say, I love God with all of my heart and soul and mind, but I'm going to live like this. There's no fence riding. The options are two. You either love God or you don't. There's, Jesus is giving us a definitive here, which is good which is good because it forces us to reevaluate how we view things and how we live our lives. No one, not you, not me, no one can serve two masters. You are either controlled by the kingdom of light or you are controlled by the kingdom of darkness. And you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor. There are some nice people who are lost. I, I would, no problem. I don't have a problem with that. Somebody said there's nice people that are lost and they do good things and all of that. I got no problem with that, but they're doing it in the dark. You, you, you're on either one side of the fence or the other. Now, you guys and gals know that I believe once saved, always saved. I'll take that to my grave. In fact, I may want that on my headstone. But I also believe you have to possess it and you have to have a genuine conversion take place in your heart. No one can serve two masters. The point is, no matter how good a person is, the goodness comes up short. Let me give you a case in point. This is a simple one. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. No matter how good a person is, they're still in darkness. And what we need to be doing as kingdom believers is shining the light so that they can see they're in darkness, whereby breaking the power of Satan, where they can see the light of the gospel and be saved. Unbelievers, no matter how wonderful they are, and I know some really good unbelievers, but they don't know Jesus. And at the end of the day, 
when the dust settles, that person goes to bed without the certainty of if they pass in the night where they will spend eternity. If good people could get into heaven, why did Jesus come? So he says here, I want you to see what Jesus is doing. He's drawing a line right down the middle. And he says you're either on one side or the other. And that's tough because we like to think that everybody goes to heaven. That's not true. Everybody does not go to heaven. All roads do not lead to heaven. The contrast. It gives us another contrast. Notice the definitive, definitive language here. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Let me put it up here on a little chart. On one end you have love and devoted or devotion, which means wholeheartedly devoted, which could go back to that word we talked about earlier where it talks about loyalty to God. Love devoted on one side of the fence, and if you follow that down, that's your master. If you hate and despise, you say, well, lost people don't hate. Well, they do in a sense because they're not following God. But here you have hate, despise, and that is your, that is your master. It becomes critical at this point. It becomes critical to realize that we're either in one or the other camp. I know all of us here sitting in a sanctuary today, we're on God's side, right? But when you walk outside these doors, there's people that are not on God's side. And how we view and how we live our lives determines how people see Christ. So Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. What must I do to have eternal life, the rich man asked. Jesus responds, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have eternal life. It's the saddest case in the New Testament. We don't know whether he got saved or not. He walked away. So what we view and how we do things in our lives determines who we are serving. This is a rather harsh quote that I'm getting ready to put up, but I wholeheartedly agree with Craig Bloomberg here. Um, oh, here it is. Many perceptive observers have sensed that the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not, as some have alleged, prevailing ideologies such as Marxism, Islam, the New Age movement, or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our culture. We try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw Christianity in when it is convenient as another small addition to a so-called good life. This next phrase struck me. 
Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. So what we should do in our Christian walk, uh, starting right now, would be to say, Lord, everything that I have, I surrender to the use of your kingdom. How does that change our lives? I realize we have to live, we have to eat, we have to... Uh, but how big of a house do you need? How big of a car do you need? How, we need to reevaluate our lives. My Sunday school class, we're, we're getting ready to start celebration of the disciplines. And he, uh, Foster talks about simplicity in the Christian life. I think it's a very good point and ties into what we've been talking about. Do we really need this, 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 and this? Because where our heart is, that's where our treasure will be also. You, you, you cannot serve God and money. I think that's, I think it's right. You can't claim to be serving him at all because Jesus has just laid down the gauntlet in the fact that you are either with me or, or you're not. I'm not trying to say you can't have a house. I'm not trying to say you can't have possessions, but do they possess you? That's the issue. And what you do with them. I've met many wonderful Christian uh, Christian people who have large homes and they open those homes up to people to come in uh, who, who may not have a place to sleep and I don't got a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. It's what we do with what we have and by the way, let me say this for everybody, everything that you have has been given to you by God. Here's the kicker, it's not yours. This is not my church. I just happen to be the pastor of it. That is not my parsonage. If I understand the founding fathers and sisters of this church, they built this church for God. This is not your church. It's not my church. This is his church. This building is his. Yes, we glorify him. We worship him here. But this is God's. That parsonage, that's God's. That's not mine. I live in it, but that's not mine. The cars that I have out there, that's not mine. We have to be willing to reevaluate our lives, what we have, and ask, how am I maximizing the use of this for the kingdom of God? And if I maximize the use of this, then I am letting people see the light of the gospel. It's a, it's a tough thing. So in closing, focus on the things of Christ, God, and heaven. Focus on those things. Second thing I would say to all of us is, reje is reject materialism. Just reject it. I've even had to evaluate some things. Do I really need this? How can I use this to shine the light of the gospel? Because he says if the I is right, if it's healthy, then your whole body is full of light. So how can I use what I'm getting to glorify Christ 
it doesn't mean you can't have simple things in life. You know what I'm, what I'm talking about. It's, it's having a right attitude towards the things in our lives. Reject earthly things to a large extent. Seek to love him and devote your life to him. Those are... That would encompass just giving him everything which he already possesses. We are stewards of what he has given us. So the window to the soul is let's start looking at life a little differently. Let's ask key questions. How can this action or how can this affect the kingdom? How can I be more effective in letting the light of the gospel out so that people can see the good works and glorify God? 